Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this is Emergency Preparedness Week, Episode 2, Finding Hidden Capacity, Food Banks as Partners During Disaster. In this episode, we discussed an important disaster resource that has been hiding in plain sight, your local food bank, or more specifically, the networks of food banks that exist across the country. I'll be speaking with Stephanie Walsh-Rigby about her experience in leveraging food banks during disaster and how they bring more than just food to the table. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current, Relevant, Canadian. Well, we covered tornadoes yesterday, and so continuing our EP Week series, we're going to review another core EM topic, emergency feeding and food supplies. This is actually quite topical, as I'm sure you've all been following how COVID-19 has been disrupting food security and supply chains, and how disruptions have been impacting those with pre-existing food insecurity. Food bank use is up across the country, and donations are down, which has prompted Food Banks Canada, which is the National Association of Food Banks, to release an urgent plea for donations in the hopes of raising $150 million for Canadian food banks. So if you're looking for a way to help, sounds like a great opportunity and uh, feel free to make a donation or spread that news within your networks. Yeah, I don't think it's ever been as important as it is now. So it's a, a good cause. Now, let's get down to the interview. Okay, so here's an interview I did during the recent Emergency Management Stakeholder Summit at Nate, uh, where I caught up with Stephanie Walsh-Rigby from Food Banks Alberta. She gave a passionate presentation on the evolving role of food banks as community partners in disaster and how emergency management training is really becoming part of their mantra. My name is Stephanie Walsh-Rigby and I am the CEO of Food Banks Alberta, which is the provincial association of food banks with 95 members around the province. Wonderful. And what was the um, the concept for your presentation today? Because it's uh, maybe at first glance, you wouldn't expect to see a food bank uh, presenting at an emergency management conference. No, and you wouldn't be the first person to ask me about that. Uh, it's definitely an area where we're trying to get a little bit more exposure, uh, especially in the emergency management uh, realm. But yes, our, our talk today was really about how food banks can be an unknown uh, partner uh, regionally, locally, provincially in some kind of disaster or emergency management. And really, we want to talk about our experiences as food banks and a network after recent uh, provincial disasters, how we were and weren't involved and how that we have learned from that and now are really spreading the word to other organizations, uh, municipalities in particular, about how their local food bank or the network of food banks behind that can support you during a time of, of, of chaos and, and when you don't have time to go find partners. <laughs> well, one of the things that emergency managers uh, generally pride themselves on is their ability to kind of creatively think uh, solutions to problems on the fly. So for all those listening, this is, uh, I think, one of those examples. Um, when you're talking about the association, maybe can you just explain your relationship to all the member food banks and how that uh, kind of works? Because you don't just represent one one food bank. No. So our association is a member-oriented organization. So all of our members are food banks and it is a voluntary. So that's not a required, we're not a, a, a regulatory body of any kind. And we don't have any jurisdiction over food banks. So our membership is everything from the largest, biggest food banks in the province, which would be here in Edmonton and in Calgary, all the city-sized food banks, so everywhere from Medicine Hat, Lethbridge, Airdrie, Wood Buffalo, 
uh, Leduc, St. Albert, all of the Red Deer, all those cities. And then all the tiny, small, more rural and remote locations. So you can almost name a, a small town and there's probably a food bank there. But literally we're stretching from high level all the way down to Pincher Creek near the border with BC. Lloydminster to one side and over Jasper uh, up to down to Banff and, and everything. Got the in whole province covered. Yeah. So what happened with the Fort McMurray wildfires? Well, the fires uh, around Wood Buffalo were really the first time that we as a network uh, proactively work together as a food bank network and with partners over time to be part of the emergency response. We've always, as food banks, been very active in supporting communities uh, in their time of need. Obviously, individuals is, is our main focus, and our the mandate of food banks primarily is to support people in need. But because of the nature of the work and the things that are available to food banks or accessible by food banks, they've kind of been an unsung hero, I think, in some uh, emergency management responses over the years, as probably have many other kind of charitable organizations. But food is an essential component when people are fleeing their homes, and uh, especially for a long period of time. So we have a very unique position in many, many communities where we have access to food, quick access to uh, partners, vehicles, resources, and a variety of other things that can not necessarily turn us into an essential component, but a really great partner in any scale of, of emergency. I think that's an important point. So when you think of a food bank, traditionally somebody might think of a stockpile of food in a warehouse, but really there's a lot more there in terms of the relationships that you that you have. Absolutely. Food banks, uh, again, they vary in size and scale. So to put it into perspective, I should say that uh, about half of our food banks are completely run by volunteers. So they still might be a very large sized food bank. Uh, I'm going to say there's a couple of nearby cities where the food banks are still uh, primarily run by volunteers and they may have one or two staff people, but not to the scale that you'd see in a large city like Edmonton or Calgary. So the, 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 the scope of different food banks does vary because they, they are many different sizes. But for the most part, food banks not only have uh, whatever food they have available in their building, they have equipment, often they have access to vehicles or own a fleet of vehicles depending on the size. And if not, they may have a transportation partner, they have grocery partners, they have discount relationships and the ability to access, coordinate, move, store and ship massive amounts of food in a very short period of time. And that can be, become very instrumental in a, in a response situation for sure. What would be some specific examples where you think a food bank could be of most use? I, I think really with the partnership of the network of food banks behind them, they we can help in almost any situation. Not to be sort of a carte blanche about the whole thing, but uh, there is so many resources across the network. So one of the examples I used uh, in, in my conversation was of a, a community in Pincher Creek near the border of BC. Very small food bank run by volunteers and very small capacity. So they don't have a lot of those things. But other food banks further uh, out in the region, Calgary Food Bank is very, very close, as well as Lethbridge and some of these other companies that they have relationships with these organizations, so they have access either through us or through others. So I think it really does uh, vary depending on the actual circumstances, but just because the community food bank is small and may not have that, it doesn't mean we can't spread that net 
Uh, again, with the Calgary floods, there was such a response provincially at the time from a million organizations. But the Calgary Food Bank was at the epicenter of it, and they were the lead agency. So at the provincial level, we're, we're not going to step into anybody's toes or try to, to take over. It's really more of being a support to what those in charge need. Uh, and that may be an evacuation center or it may be more long-term support. In terms of the transition, you, you mentioned uh, a bit how the organization had changed after the, the, the Wood Buffalo fires. What were some of the, the cultural changes that happened within the food bank after that first deployment? The food bank is, is such an interesting social sector because, as I mentioned, and I, I still see it every day when I travel around the province visiting food banks, uh, it is a more mature, what we would consider a more mature social sector. And a lot of the food banks, uh, not only in Alberta, but across the country, are fully equipped with people that have been doing it for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and most of them volunteers. So there is a, a sense of I don't want to use the word modesty, but there's a humility uh, in the food banks themselves, the people that run them, and they are generally speaking very quiet. You don't, they don't make a lot of commotion. They don't make a big deal necessarily in the community. They're they're often very quiet. So, what we're trying to convince them is to be a little bit more vocal. It really is a transition for them, saying, you know, you are a leader in the food sector in your community that you do as a as an organization have a lot of experience and expertise to share and the network itself does so getting them to even some of them to wrap their head around the fact that you know you don't have to wait for them to come to you and i I just talked to a municipality after my 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 talk and she said you know maybe we should go to the food bank and talk to them and i said if they haven't been to you then sure but that's the thing they're not out there trying to, to rattle cages. And I, th- and, and I think a lot of them, and I, I was impressed with some of the sort of smaller to mid-sized food banks that really embraced this when we went through the process, especially when it came to for their own food bank, to have a business continuity plan to understand what do we do if our food bank is destroyed by fire or flood. Uh, or even the simple is, what do we do if we are trapped in our food bank? You know, what, what do we do? And, and the shelter-in-place concept. These are conversations that have not been had at, at food banks because it's just something that happens when a disaster yeah. occurs. And so we really want it to be more proactive. And that's why, even though uh, it took us a very long time to work through the process, we wanted to give everybody a voice to make sure that we ferreted out all of those things that weren't working as well as those that work so that we could really focus on that. And I, I've got to say, uh, for a group of incredibly generous and, and humble people, most of them have really embraced this new way of thinking and their role within that. Well, it just seems like such a natural partnership uh, with the goals of emergency management. It's one of those things where I feel like it's been hiding in plain sight in, in many senses. One of the uh, things that's always of concern to emergency managers uh, is critical infrastructure disruptions. And we, when we look at that threat, we always analyze the integrity of supply chains. So given that a food bank operates a little bit differently than, say, a grocery store would in terms of if, you, if you're requesting from the private sector directly to put an order for food in, it seems to me like a food bank might be actually a more robust uh, system. You've got, you talked about a distributed network, you've got volunteers, you've got different kind of a broader base of, of knowledge. How robust is that uh, supply chain mechanism within uh, the food banks? It's interesting that you say that because really the people that run uh, food banks and the volunteers that support them are food moving experts. 
they are really, really incredibly well-versed with receiving massive amounts of food, sometimes in a relatively short period of time, in a variety of conditions, sorting through that food by either date or product or, or type, and then figuring out the best way to redistribute that, whether it be by the hamper system or if it's going to be in, in a mass situation where you have a lot of people that need to be fed so it's not so detailed. So I think that piece, although... Again, depending on the size of the food bank, so again, a very, very small rural food bank that's only open a half a day a month does not have that at their disposal. What they do have, though, is the network support of that. So I can reach out to the Calgary Food Bank or the Edmonton Food Bank or the Airdrie Food Bank and say, okay, this is what's happening here. This is what they need. Uh, so in, in Calgary, where they have a massive warehouse, and in Edmonton as well, there are certain items that are stockpiled or accessible. Uh, it can take one phone call f- to a donor in a time of emergency to sort some uh, or source some uh, some pieces. Our grocery partners are critical to all of this. And again, they can still do that, but there's a relationship that is already there in so many food banks or at the provincial association or both that uh, uh, a day-to-day person just trying to figure out where am I going to get some food may not even... Uh, connect themselves with. So again, we really want uh, those that are planning for disasters to think about the food bank option or the possibility or the partnership long before it ever becomes that. But if it does get to that point, to still consider connecting with their local food bank or us as the provincial association to see what we can do to to help out. You mentioned about the that sorting and, and that process of distribution. What are some of the more technical considerations for how a food bank actually operates? The, the running joke for, for emergency managers, of course, and you mentioned in your talk was uh, how nobody really likes uh, uh, this concept of donation management, right? It's uh, the kind of common problem for for most uh, major incidents. So um, what are some of the ways that uh, food banks can help specifically with uh, the food donations? Well, we have really good systems in place across the board uh, for tracking. We probably, we've always had them, but we've tracked them for purposes uh, that a food bank has. So when we pivoted really uh, during the Wood Buffalo response, that's when it really started to get ingrained with us about the ability to track. So they do have that capacity uh, to know, you know, what's available, what's accessible, what's needed, how close by. I mean, when you take Calgary uh, as an example, there's many, many food distribution centers that are, are located in and around the city of Calgary. So there are some very quick connections that can be made there. Uh, Pepsi was another example that reached out to us uh, in Wood Buffalo with offers for water and things like that. So the connectivity is is critical. And obviously the larger food banks, they have so many uh, connections within their communities, but we've been able to leverage them uh, provincially, regionally as needed to, to really try to sort through all of that. But there also is this great uh, fleet of vehicles that run on the roads. There's systems to weigh. We have containers and boxes. and I mean, all the things that go alongside if needed. I think probably the, on the other side of it, you know, we deal in mass. So, and it generally can be not fresh and it may be frozen. It might not be, it might be frozen pies uh, that have been donated from a local grocery store. So some of those items may not be most appropriate in an emergency response. So 
the more a food bank works with their municipality or in the preparedness side of things, those kinds of items are something that we know might be needed. We can start knowing, okay, these are the contacts for those types of things. So then if something does happen, we skip over the, the, the frozen pies and go straight into uh, meals that are easily accessible for people that might be camping. Uh, or something like that. So there, there's a lot of uh, pieces within the system that allow us to, to quickly navigate um, what is available, what we have, what we can't do, and what we can do, and then start to pull things together. The other big uh, consideration for emergency managers is we spend a lot of time planning for vulnerable populations. Mm -hmm. And we often think of uh, uh, extremes of age, people with disabilities, uh, uh, things like that. But but one area which I I don't think deserves enough uh, attention, and again, you touched on it, is um, those with food insecurity. And if you've got food insecurity at baseline, uh, obviously that's going to be exacerbated uh, during a disaster. So um, does there tend to be a relationship already that could maybe be capitalized on um, that food banks might have as a distribution point for helping those populations? Absolutely. And actually, one of the things I didn't get into too much in the in the talk was about how Wood Buffalo Food Bank became a partner in the reentry. And once they were up and running and working with Red Cross, they actually became the point where people came to get their reentry packages, which included the food, the cleaning supplies, you know, these components. So, and because they have the ability to capture data, they have a reporting system, all of that's in place, they were able to to manage that. And so you have existing vulnerable populations that may or may not have been accessing the food bank prior to that. So there's an opportunity for the food bank to say, okay, you weren't, but you obviously now, but we can continue to help you pass that. Um, A very interesting comment was made to me uh, at the last uh, uh, conference like this, when it was still, again, early stages of of discussion about what role food banks have. And one of the the folks I talked to who had been interviewed for us said, well, geez, we don't want to be taking and relying on food banks to help us through this when you know you have other things to do and you shouldn't be expected to feed people. And I said, well, that's actually not what we're, we're not talking about helping we want to help everybody in a vulnerable situation and we will continue to do that but it makes no sense for an organization that is well equipped uh, that has access and can do all of these things what may have prevented it in the past and i'm not i'm not sure if it's actually true but it may have been well you know we're not going to get any of that back our donors gave us that and it may be gone now i can't say i've ever heard, heard a food bank say that But that feeling of, and that's when we partnered with the Red Cross and with the province, that was the whole idea that this is not going to be done off the backs of those donors. When I gave food to my food bank for people in need, I want it to go there. But I also am pretty sure if you talk to anybody who's donated and said, you know what, we had to redirect that for this cause because of this emergency, I can't imagine anybody having a problem with that. But it does deplete the supply that's available for those people that come in the next day looking for their assistance, and if it's all been given or is all gone and can't be replenished, then it creates a, a, a problem. So we're really optimistic now with the, all these new communications and the fact that we're on the NGO Council and really at the table with everybody, that that will never happen, that we won't be in a situation where a food bank is fell, feels short or that we aren't participating fully because, we oh, oh my goodness, we might lose all of the food that we have that we right. need. And unfortunately, tough times are tough. So food banks are really busy right now, unfortunately. Uh, so for our listeners who aren't in Alberta, mm. do organizations like this exist in other provinces? How, how can they access their uh, local food bank networks? 
Yes, so everything I've talked about in Alberta really can resonate to almost anybody across the country. Uh, particularly in BC, uh, we've had a very close partnership with my uh, provincial association uh, peers there, and they've been very actively involved with their government as well as others through emergency management. We've had uh, conversations in Ontario as well, but every province has a provincial association of some level, very easy to find. And then there's a national organization called Food Banks Canada. So there's three full layers. Again, we are all completely autonomous, but we work together. So part of what we've done is really tried to spread the word amongst other provincial associations about what their food banks can and how they can support one another as well as their network and be more organized. But realistically, your own food bank is your first place to start to see what their capacity is what their ability is, and then who do they know. So that's where we can support uh, them in connecting them with the way they want. And that can happen in every province. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, this has been great. I've really enjoyed my time here, and it was great to see some uh, folks that I've gotten to meet over the years and, and in a very uh, unresponsive mode. It was It's great. Yes, like you say, those relationships, uh, making them now is always better than uh, during the disaster. During the time. It can be done, but let's do as much as we can ahead of time. Yeah, I really like this interview. A really good conversation. It seems like food banks are embracing their their disaster response role. Yeah, they're definitely being brought more directly into the planning effort, and they're taking the rightful seat in many municipal EOCs. I think this is important because I know I've definitely heard the traditional teachings in the past about wanting to avoid food banks as a resource during disaster because they're supposedly a, a more vulnerable organization or might already be be taxed and overwhelmed. And I think this uh, interview really debunks that notion. And maybe it's because we only see the front end of it, you know, the food hampers and a few cans here and there, but it's so much more than just food. There are fleets of vehicles, organized volunteers, abilities to mass uh, donations and do donation management and knowledge of local vulnerable populations, which is just so important. So it's not just the supply, but it also can help with the mass feeding through their other relationships as well, such as Meals on Wheels or the other volunteer groups that are they're committed to providing food during disaster. Yeah, the, the takeaways for me are, are really, it just underscores the need that emergency managers, we need to understand some basic concepts of what food insecurity is, and we need to know which communities that uh, you know we look after are going to be most at risk. So for a little bit of background, uh, some information from Food Banks Canada says that over a million Canadians use food banks each month. And of that, over 40% of what food banks supply is actually fresh produce. So not just what you might have had in mind in terms of canned goods and, and non-perishable food items. Yeah, and if this is news to you, then you're not alone. But it is important to realize that on average, most North American households spend 37% of their income on food. And if this goes up during a disaster, for example, this is a good indicator of food insecurity. So there's this SOVI score, Social Vulnerability Index, which is a valuable intelligence uh, aspect to help map this out. It gives you an empiric number to work with, and it's very amenable to a geographic display. So this is might be something to incorporate into your GIS or your vulnerability mapping in your community. And this is important because when we look at the intersection of different hazards, you need to be aware that it's not just the, the common hazards that can lead to food insecurity. There's some unpredictable relationships between different hazards. For example, uh, in the past, we've seen some acute 
food um, supply chain disruptions and food insecurity following blackouts where people have had uh, you know mass spoiling of foods when when uh, power goes out and obviously what we're seeing right now pandemics uh, you know there's many um, different types of hazards that can lead to food insecurity so it sounds like we should all have a pretty good relationship with our local food banks going forward and there are lots of organizations to help support you in getting in touch uh, such as Feed Ontario and Food Banks of BC and Quebec. Yeah, so thanks again to Stephanie Walsh-Rigby for taking the time to chat with us. A very uh, informative interview. And once again, we'd like to take a moment to just say thank you to all of the hardworking emergency managers and first responders who are really buckling down and doing more than has ever been asked of them before during this COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, and don't forget to send us an audio clip if you'd like to support your fellow emergency managers and send a a word of encouragement. We'll include that on one of our upcoming episodes, and uh, there may be a prize involved for whoever is brave enough to submit an audio clip. Just before we go, I would like to thank our sponsors. This episode uh, was brought in part to you by the Back to School Again podcast. This is a podcast about midlife learners. The next season is diving into the power of online learning, which is really quite timely considering how much we're relying on the virtual environment these days. They've provided a quick little clip, which we will play for you right now. Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram. I'm working on a special three-part mini-series of the Back to School Again podcast in partnership with Athabasca University, which highlights the power of online learning. We'll talk about how the internet has transformed education, the role of micro-learning and micro-credentialing, and an exciting new offering called PowerEd. I've just completed the PowerEd course, Machine Learning for Competitive Advantage, and I'll share some of the cool things I've learned about how artificial intelligence is shaping our world and how to apply machine learning to solve business problems. The series launches in April, but you can subscribe now at backtoschoolagain.ca. Hope you'll join us. You can find Back to School Again on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can find it at backtoschoolagain.ca. That's backtoschoolagain.ca. The podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. My name is Kyle, and I'm the host of Putting It Together. From a very early age, I've been obsessed with musical theater, and in particular, I've adored the music of composer Stephen Sondheim. So I decided to create a podcast where I invite on a new guest each week and go through each one of his productions, show by show, and song by song. You'll learn about theater history, you'll laugh, maybe cry, but always, you'll be swept up in the music. It's called Putting It Together, and it's available anywhere you get podcasts. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at the username epic underscore underscore podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, 